It's Harper Lee's hometown. We know she doesn't give interviews, but I think it's worth going there anyway. Enough said. A couple of weeks earlier, the Chicago Public Library had chosen the elusive authors To Kill a Mockingbird as the first selection in its One Book, One Chicago program. The idea was to get Chicagoans in every corner of the city reading and discussing the same book. It didn't hurt that To Kill a Mockingbird happened to be the favorite of Chicago Mayor Richard M. Daly, as he told me a couple of months earlier for a story I wrote about his reading habits. That he was a reader at all surprised some folks. His press conferences were hard to follow. He didn't necessarily exit the same sentences he entered. But he loved books, and he especially loved To Kill a Mockingbird. In that, he was part of a phenomenon that began in 1960 and continues to this day. When the novel was published in July of that year, Harper Lee was a few months past her 34th birthday. From the beginning, Lee was a collection of contradictions. She was an Alabama native whose love of the state's back roads was matched only by her love of New York City streets. Her public shyness masked a wicked wit. During the publicity engagements for the novel's publication, when she wasn't averting her gaze, her dark eyes could alternate between a penetrating stare and a mischievous gleam. She was a distinctive blend of engaging and elusive. Lee labored for several years to produce the novel. She coaxed the story out of a royal manual typewriter in her small Manhattan cold water flat and on visits home. Atticus Finch is a principled attorney and the widowed father of two children. As the novel begins, his tomboy daughter, Scout, is about to turn six. Her older brother, Jem, is almost ten. With their father, they endure the suspicion and outright hatred directed at Atticus when he defends Tom Robinson, a black man falsely accused of raping a white woman, Mayella Ewell, in their segregated town. In the novel's climactic scene, Bob Ewell, father of Mayella, comes after the children. Boo Radley, the neighborhood recluse who has frightened and fascinated the children in equal measure, saves them. Through the experiences of Scout, Jem, and their best friend Dill, Lee paints a vivid picture of small-town childhood in the segregated South. She also explores complex themes in the lives of her characters, from mental illness to addiction, racism, and the limitations society imposed on women. The story of small-town childhood and racial injustice in Depression-era Alabama garnered glowing reviews and stayed on the bestseller list for nearly two years. In 1961, Lee won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. The Academy Award-winning 1962 film version of the novel, starring Gregory Peck, became a classic in its own right. It was a stunning debut. With time, Lee's novel became something more, a national touchstone and a culture becoming ever more fragmented. In a 1991 survey, the Library of Congress asked readers which book most influenced their lives. Only the Bible outranked To Kill a Mockingbird. It has sold an estimated 40 million copies or more and been translated into three dozen languages, from Swedish to Urdu. It is required reading for at least 70% of U.S. high school students. The novel became a classic at the same time as it defied Mark Twain's definition of one. A book people praise and don't read.
References to the work appear in movies, on television, in countless other books, and in comic strips, cartoons, and lyrics. People cite the novel as the reason they became writers or lawyers. The characters' unusual names have a comfortable familiarity even to those who haven't read the novel in years, or perhaps never did. Atticus Finch. Scout. Boo Radley. The unusual names from Depression-era Alabama now populate the glossy pages of People and Us Weekly, as celebrities, as well as plenty of regular folks, name their children Harper, Atticus, or Scout. As the novel's cultural influence grew, so did Lee's mystique. A few years after the book was published, she essentially stopped giving interviews. The second novel she had once discussed never appeared. Her rare public appearances made headlines. Her speeches, when she did accept an occasional award, usually consisted of two words, thank you. When she was loquacious, she went on twice as long. Thank you.